Come up on I'm Daniel Jacon, and welcome to another edition of Words on a Wire. And this is a very special show for me because we're going to have James E. Cherry, who is a poet and a fiction writer, but who is also one of my students in the online MFA in creative writing. And we're going to talk about his new book called Loose Change, which is a collection of poems. And we're also going to have him read one of his poems. Just to keep with the theme of the online MFA today, another master's candidate from the online MFA, Guadalupe Mendez, is going to do our poetic license. Now, I mentioned that he's a student of mine. I, I direct an online MFA in creative writing here at the University of Texas at El Paso. James lives in Tennessee. The idea behind this online MFA is that it's non-residential. You never have to come to El Paso. You could take a class from anywhere. We have one student, actually, that takes classes from Africa, uh, another one that takes classes from Europe, and they just take them from all over the place, but they're able to get their MFA. And for me, it's pretty good, too, because I can travel a lot. As you know, when you become a writer and you publish a book, that's when the work starts. You need to get out there and do readings and go to conferences And so I have the geographical latitude to do that because I teach entirely online. But James is one of our, I would say, stellar students. He's always participating in amazing ways and and giving us a lot of feedback on the work of his peers. And uh, and actually, sometimes I I learn from him. So I'm really glad that he's going to be on the show. So stick around and we will talk to James Cherry on Words on a Wire. James E. Cherry is the author of five books, including Bending the Blues and Honoring the Ancestors. His new book just came out, and we're going to talk about that today. It's a collection of poems called Loose Change. He has been nominated for an NAACP Image Award, a Lillian Smith Book Award, and he was a finalist for the Next Generation Indie Book Award. His work has been published in literary journals both nationally and internationally, He is an MFA candidate in creative writing at the University of Texas, El Paso. James, welcome to Words on a Wire. Thank you, Daniel. It's good to be on the program. And, and, you know, it's nice to talk to you. You have been in the online MFA program for, I don't know, I guess three years or or so, and I've had you in many classes, and I've read your fiction and uh, read your, your critical papers, and, you know, you're just a brilliant student. But it's great to actually talk to you. Well, it's good to be on the program. Uh, Words on the Wire is, uh, you know, nationally and I guess internationally renowned for some of the guests that you had on, and I'm uh, honored to be uh, in that number. Well, we're honored to have you. And where are you? Where are you right now? I'm in West Tennessee, a town called Jackson, which is uh, probably geographically halfway between Memphis and Nashville. Is that a Help you out. Your latest book is called Loose Change, and it's a collection of poems. Um, but you've had previous books, um, fiction and uh, both fiction and poetry. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. I've uh, published a chapbook of poems uh, called Bending the Blues. 
Oh, I like that. Bending the Blues. Bending the Blues. And I had a uh, full collection of poems called Honoring the Ancestors. Uh, It came out in 2009. And uh, this collection here, Loose Change, came out uh, just last year. Bending the Blues, I kind of like that. It it reminds me of um, Don DeLillo. Don DeLillo uh, yeah. talked about in an interview in the Paris Review. He says that, that what writers do is they, they bend language. Bending blues, is, I imagine there's a lot of rhythm in that particular collection. Well, actually, uh, I was struggling with the title for the collection, and the, uh, the publisher, uh, you, know, you know, she pretty much said what you said, that because of the musicality of the poems, uh, she thought that would be a good title, so that's what we went with. <laughs> nice, nice. And you're, you, you also have a, a couple of books of fiction out, and, but you're doing poetry. Do you find it hard to go from one to another? Actually, I find that they complement uh, one another, because with the, with the poetry, you know, image, for me, is the predominant uh, focus. Of, of my poetry. Right. And I'm finding now, especially since I've been in the, MF, in the online MFA program, that to start with an image uh, really has been beneficial. You know, one of, one of the things that I've learned under, under you is that sometimes if you just start with an image and kind of follow the language, uh, the story will develop on its own. So for me, uh, both genres, they, they complement one another and the only thing I find is that when I'm writing fiction, I'm, I'm writing fiction. I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not doing any poetry at that time. But right. for me, I don't have a problem with, with either one of them. Uh, you bring up a good point. One of the things I try to emphasize in my workshop and whenever I give uh, talks on craft is uh, the craft of fiction is not about storytelling. And I mean, it is, but it isn't. Right. Um, but if you were to assert a story or assert a plot or assert a theme... Uh, it's probably going to be pretty superficial because you're going to have to drag your characters around, you know, in order for them to fit the needs right. of the plot. But if you right. follow language, you follow image, you follow character yearning, then the story kind of creates itself. And and perhaps some of those expectations you've had for the plot before you started writing will come true, but sometimes they may not. Well, and and not only that, but when you when you start that way, you you put yourself in a box or in, or, or in a straitjacket more yeah. or less, and so you have to be pretty rigid to those uh, parameters that you set. So right. yeah, you're absolutely right. Now let me ask you something. We're talking to James Cherry, author of the new collection of poems called Loose Change. You were a uh, a, a writer uh, before you decided to uh, start an MFA. I mean, a published writer. What was it that uh, that caused you to, to to get an MFA? And tell me a little bit about your experience in the program. Well, my primary objective for uh, getting an MFA is to become a better writer. Uh, you know, at, at some point, you know, teaching may be on the horizon, but uh, I just felt that I was at a point, as you had mentioned, I had a book poems out and uh, a novel, but I, I just felt that uh, there was another level that uh, I need to take my writing to. And I'm pretty much a self-taught writer. Everything I've learned uh, about the writing process has come from reading. You know, I'm uh, pretty much a voracious reader. So Mm -hmm. uh, basically everything I've I've learned about writing has come from reading. So I felt that a structured program uh, would give me some insight into how to um, heighten uh, my skills and 
uh, just get better. So that was right. my primary objective. Well, that's that's a that's a fantastic objective because I think uh, sometimes people, you know, they they enter into an MFA and they think they're going into an MBA that it's going to somehow <laughs> change their career and get them a job. But the fact yeah. is, I think the best motive for any kind of studio uh, a master's program uh, terminal degree is is what you're saying. Just to, uh, it makes you a better writer. And did it make you a better writer? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think actually. Uh, about a third or maybe more of the poems in Loose Change uh, came from the, the the workshops that we did in the online MFA program. And uh, I guess the other poems, you know, with the knowledge that I gained from the program, it helped me to go back and uh, revise and just just magnify the language more. Yeah. And I, I mentioned earlier about the fiction as well, you know, uh, some of the valuable or maybe invaluable lessons that I learned is, you know, just dealing with the language and starting with an image and, uh, you know, point of view and, 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 and all those things that I, were, that, that I was missing on my own more or less. When I go back and look at my first book, I kind of cringe. <laughs> Not at all of it, but some of the stories. Well, you know, one story in particular, I kind of look at it. Oh my God, I can't believe I published that. And then, you know, and then I, I'm kind of when people say, you know, what book of yours should I get? I always say the last one, no matter where <laughs> I'm at. I say, yeah, you know, get the get the one that's just been published. How do you feel when you go back to your earlier books, or do you ever go back to your early books? I'm I'm pretty much in the same boat with yourself. Uh, I mean, when I look at my earlier work and uh, I look at where I, where I have developed today is, you know, I, I, I cringe as well. But, I mean, you know, you, you live and learn. And, <laughs> it, you know, five five years from now, hopefully, we'll be writing better uh, than we are today. So uh, writing is, is, a, is a continuing process. And, uh, you know, you just have to continue to read and write and uh, continue to study your craft as much as you can. Absolutely, because I think once you think, well, I've arrived, then you're probably not (laughs) where you need to be. Yeah, you're in a lot of trouble. And I also think that that artistic development, developing as a writer or whatever art you're dedicating your life to, is a parallel to personal development. That you you know you should probably never arrive at a place personally where you say, you know, I think I'm pretty perfect. Yeah, (laughs) I don't think I need to learn anything. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Loose Change. Is this your first full collection of poems? No, my first full collection, as I mentioned, was called Honoring the Ancestors. And that was nominated for NAACP Image Award in nice. 2009. Uh, that was published by Third World Press out of Chicago. So Loose Change is published by Stephen F. Austin, uh, State University in Nacogdoches. And uh, Loose Change... The book does not have the the traditional narrative arc. Uh, I think the poems reflect the title. Uh, Loose change. There are poems in here about uh, you know getting getting older. You know, I, I turned the big five zero. Uh, oh, ago. welcome! <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the club. Yeah. So there's a few <laughs> poems in there that deals with that. There's poems about family. Right. Uh, poems about racial matters. So, uh, but the poems while there may not be a narrative arc. The poems do inform one another. Mm. So I, I I thought the title, Loose Change, would, was a perfect fit for what I was doing. You got uh, a uh, blurb from uh, Nikki Giovanni, who is certainly one of the, the greatest uh, American poets of our time. 
And uh, she writes, everybody needs loose change. I like, I like how she plays with the language. We tickle it in our hearts and jangle it in our pockets, but never to foolishly spend it. Loose change gets saved to become our treasure. How did that, how did that come about? How did you get a blurb from, from Nikki Giovanni? Well, she made a, a visit to Jackson. There's a college here called Lane College, which is a historically black college and university. And she visited the campus one year, and I was fortunate enough to pick her up at the airport, uh, which was a couple hours' drive. And so, mm, wow. you know, we had <laughs> we had a two-hour conversation nonstop. Oh, that's we, awesome. <laughs> no, it, was, um, it was incredible. And, you know, we developed a friendship since then. I guess that was probably 10 years ago. Wow. And, uh, you know, every now and then she'll drop me an email, and when I told her about the book, you know, she didn't hesitate to to blurb it for me, so. That's awesome. Yeah, that's one of the great things about, you know, hosting writers. I'm hosting a writer here in El Paso, and, and I, I admire his work deeply, but it's really cool because I get to hang out with him, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's get back to Loose Change. It's a wonderful, wonderful, very reflective, uh, lyrical collection. And I notice one of the uh, the poems, you model after a poem by Benjamin Alida Sines, who is my oh, co-host, yeah. who is uh, not able to make it today. And it's called Meditations... Meditations in Middle Age. Meditations in Middle <laughs> you know, Age, number one through ten. Yeah, you know, in in Science's book, he had um, meditations on the desert, and in, in his book, uh, the Book of What Remains, I, mm-hmm. I believe he has several poems called uh, Meditations right. on, the, on the Desert or something. So that book greatly influenced me. I wrote a series of, of, of short poems, kind of based on, on on his work as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you put your book together, when you when you had a finished manuscript, do you have anybody that reads it first before you send it out to editors? There, there are some some friends that that I have that are poets, and uh, I'll I'll send them a few poems. Uh, there's, there's a good friend of mine in North Carolina named uh, Bernard Moore. I believe his latest book is called A Temple Rising. <laughs> he teaches that. Shaw University in, in North Carolina, and uh, he reads my work. And there's uh, Dr. Jerry Ward, who's a retired professor in, in Louisiana, and he's been very influential as, as far as my uh, development goes. So I run things by him, and uh, a guy in D.C. named Ethelbert Miller. I don't know if you know that name or not. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's a well-known poet as well. So, you know, there's, there's uh, you know, a few people in the circle that uh, I bounce ideas off of and, you know, seek advice. Do you ever turn your manuscript over to your wife and say, you know, can you read it before anyone else? <laughs> she she reads it uh, definitely before it gets published. But, and, you know, we we, we, we talk poetry yeah. and, and, and as well as fiction. You know, she's, she's a pretty tough critic and... And fans, so, you know, there you go. You know, because I find that's common among writers. I think writers reach a certain point in their career where they quit feeling the need to workshop. They quit feeling the need to send their manuscript around and get feedback before they send it to an editor. But they usually have one person that reads it, and that's usually a a partner, you know, a life partner. In fact... um, that's the only thing I, I, I miss about my ex. She used to read my manuscript. <laughs> <laughs> no other things, too. It, it's interesting that you mentioned that because, uh, you know, we talk about growth and development, and I'm always looking for a, a poetry or a fiction workshop to attend. 
just a couple of years ago, I went to uh, Key West. Every year they have this seminar and poetry workshops. And uh, one year I sat in with Yusef Kumanyaka. Oh, great know, for, poet, yeah. For a whole week. And uh, last time I was down there, which was a couple of times ago, uh, the fiction writer Valerie Martin. Oh, yes, I'm very familiar with her, oh, too. Oh, yes. You know, I had a week to study with her, and you wow. know, that wasn't very long ago, so... There's one thing that I, I try to tell students once they get an MFA, and that is to give up the workshop, to quit trying to get your stuff workshop. Because what happens a lot is uh, students, once they're out of the MFA, they are so addicted to that feedback uh, that they seek other workshops and, and for the rest of their lives. And I find those kind of writers don't ever develop the confidence to know that their writing is good. They don't need a bunch of input. They don't need people to yeah. say it's good. They, you know, right. But always one person at least I think is, you know, is important just you know, to kind of like keep, you, right. keep your feet on the ground. But you're still in an MFA, and so your life is still full of the workshop. Yeah. Well, you know, with the, with the workshop setting, once you complete the degree, you know, as, as you're saying, you should be comfortable enough with your own uh, literary voice that you know what's working Absolutely, and was not working. So, for me, just to attend the workshop for one thing, you know, I, I got a chance to meet Kumiyaka and Valerie Martin, right. and uh, so just to get a perspective. Right, but uh, and you're also still in in studying an MFA, right, so workshop right, is still right. part of your life. Right, and so yeah, that, I think the more workshop input you have, it while you're in the MFA is you know the better off you're going to be. Let me ask you about Loose Change. It just came out not too long ago. Are you doing? Are you good at playing the game? Because one of the things that our students need to learn is getting a book published is not the end of it. It's the beginning. Once you get the book published, you've exactly. got to get people to read it. And there are hundreds of thousands of books, literally hundreds of thousands of books published every year in this country. How do you get yours in the hands of readers? How do you get yours in the shelves of bookstores, and how do you get yours in the classroom? What kind of promotional stuff have you done for Loose Change? Well, you know, that's a, that's a good point as well, because it doesn't matter if you're going with a small press or uh, or a New York publisher, you know, Random House or somebody like that. You're still going to have to do some promoting on your end. I mean, it's, it's only so much that a publisher is going to do. Yeah, and publishers do very little these days. Even the, Even the New York presses unless you're Stephen King they do very very little exactly so what I did was I took it upon myself to uh, send out some re uh, some review copies of my own to some magazines and to some people with some uh, poetry blogs and uh, I found some success that way the book has been reviewed on a few blogs as, as, as well as a magazine or two and you just have to, uh, as far as festivals, I think festivals and book fairs are another way to, to get the book before the public. The book came out last last April, April and May. So last year I, I, there's a, uh, a festival in Nashville called the Southern Festival of Books. Uh, I had the opportunity to uh, participate in that as well as uh, as an Alabama book festival mm -hmm. as well. So festivals are, are a wonderful avenue to take advantage of. Mm -hmm. And, of course, just send books out to maybe uh, poet friends that you have and uh, contact colleges and universities and ask if they have a reading program and, uh, hey, you're available, and, you know, take mm -hmm. advantage of, of, of whatever you can. And are you, are you good at it? 
not really, <laughs> but you know, it's it's part of the you know part of the business we've chosen. So right. to speak. I mean, you know, you, you have a book, and if if you don't blow your own horn, so to speak, nobody else will. Yeah, and you know, I find there's a lot of just incredibly talented, brilliant writers who just don't know how to promote their own work, and so their stuff goes out of print very quickly. And and, and another thing too is that the publisher will submit the book or some awards and some contests. But uh, the majority of that will be taken care of by the poet right. or the writer. I mean, if, if there's an award, for example, the NAACP Image Award, uh, my publisher submitted honoring the ancestors for that, but there were some other awards that I submitted the book on my own. And, and the thing about those awards, they aren't very cheap, so you have to, right. be, you have to be selective about you know, what you submit the book for. Yeah, there's, there's this award that uh, is going around right now, uh, the finalists, and uh, I'm not going to mention the award cause, uh, because what I'm going to say is kind of not reflective very positively, but um, essentially to nominate a book costs you know, a really large amount of money and uh, you know, many, many copies of the book, and pretty much almost everybody who submits is a finalist. <laughs> you know, and I, and I, you know, and I'm starting to think, well, maybe it's a way for this to make, but it works well for the, you know, the the writers because the writers get to say, you know, I'm a finalist or I placed this and placed that. So yeah. it it does cost a lot of money, yeah. um, and if your publisher's not willing to put that money in, you got to do it yourself. That's true. Well, I wish you the best of luck on Loose Change. Uh, it's a fantastic book. We have a um, segment called Poem of the Week, and. Um, when we have a poet, we'd like to ask them to read a poem. All right, this one is called Suspect. At the airport, I'm pulled from a queue of passengers boarding flight 819 from Detroit to Memphis nonstop. I've been randomly selected to assume the position, padded under arm, poked around testicles by a male TSA security agent, while his female counterpart ransacks my book bag. She contemplates copies of Kunitz and Kumayaka, Hemp Hill and Hemingway, frowns upon a tattered notebook of my own poems that pulsate the right margin of the page. I'm cleared for boarding as I check over my shoulder, pull my ball cap low, and don a cheap pair of sunglasses to hide my intentions of storming the cockpit, shouting, Dostoevsky! Dostoevsky! That was James Cherry reading from his new book of poems called Loose Change. James, thank you for joining us for Words on a Wire. Daniel, it's been a pleasure, and uh, you take care, and, and all the best with, with your own writing. My name is Super Mendes. Uh, I'm a second-year MFA student at the University of Texas at Apostles online MFA program. By day, I'm a second-grade school teacher, and by night, I'm a, a writing poet. My uh, poetic license is um, the current state of affairs of, of writing poetry and poetics and, and what is left behind in the trail after a work is completed and books are out there to be read. My deals with the legacy of books, and this is what I have to offer. The one thing I've learned the most as I work on my NSA through UTEP's online program is that books are legacies. They echo louder, the older they are, and that is extremely important in these days. I just finished reading an independently published poetry anthology, 20 in memoriam, 
out of Sarape Press in South Texas. It's very much about legacy. The anthology is the brainchild of fellow poet and friend Edward Vidaure out of South Texas. He wanted to pay tribute to the 20 victims of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting that took place in December of 2012, a large feat. His idea was to remember the fallen in the best way possible, through poetry, through words. Such a powerful statement, such a powerfully noble way to wrap up a spirit in lasting words. One of the contributors is San Antonio's very own Carmen Bafoya with her poem, First Graders. One that speaks to hope, speaks to renewal. She writes a poem to follow the teacher, Ms. Victoria Soto. The ending goes like this. First grade victim, I will never more fill these desks with unwrapped wonder. Swing high on the playground with tiny crystal laughter or breathe their magic innocence into our empty arms. But instead, they will rise with you to the other side of the sun. Small warriors discovering, sparkling, opening, speaking, counting, leaving small handprints, big footprints. On a huge, safe, flower-filled meadow, a glittering, shielded, flower-filled meadow, your heart such a delicate way to save an image of a teacher. That's how each of the poems in the collection stand, as a way to help Hente get through such a tragic moment. Seeing Tafoya's work in this small anthology was a real treat, me thinking about how all of her work is legacy, especially in places like Arizona, where because of certain legislation, her work cannot be read in Arizona schools. Her work is banned in certain school districts in there. Rebellious students who were once a part of the Mexican-American Studies Program in Tucson, they still sneak in a few of her poems. They are literary acolytes. That's the legacy her book, Curandera, leaves behind. And here, back in Texas, I would like to see her work leave a brighter mark. I would like to see her literary contributions of those other hardworking poets, novelists, and short story writers to see new, younger audiences. I'm currently working with a whole network of artists, writers, community leaders, teachers, dads, homadres, and students who want to make sure that the works of Latino writers and Latino history come to light and be spoken of in Texas classrooms. We fight to get Mexican-American studies curriculum and the name get first into the mouths of the members of the State Board of Education. I, for one, want our youth to gain access to that kind of literary legacy. It makes the future that much more brilliant and that much more exploratory. As a writer, I'm learning that the words we leave behind have to have meaning. What I'm learning is what we do, quietly clicking away at keys and computer screens, resonates in so much more booming ways. Precision is everything if we want to make sure the words are spread like wildfire. I, for one, want my words to burn just like Costasa, Brian, and Bafoya. A steady burn, a crackling glow in the day and the night. Books are legacies and its embers, ideas that flash forth from the reader and the inspired. I might not live to see them on the level of the great writers I read, but I know that I'm trying. Hopefully, someone will pick these books by passing a torch, whisper a critique, and flip to the next page. 
For Words on a Wire, I'm Lupe Mendez. I'd like to thank James E. Cherry, author of the wonderful collection of poems, Loose Change, for joining us on this edition of Words on a Wire. And James, I will see you in the virtual classroom. And we'd like to thank Guadalupe Mendez for that poetic license. Thank you, Guadalupe. Thank you for joining us. And don't forget, the next book you read may save your life. I'm up on the wire. One side's ice and one is fire. It's a circus game with you and me. I'm up on the tightrope. One side's hate and one is hope. But the top hat on my head is all you see. And the wire seems to be.